1: Welcome to the latest episode of Land Grant in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around the Ohio State Athletic Department and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight into the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I am in conversation with the Athletic senior writer, Nick Bumgardner. For many years, Nick was the beat writer for that football team that calls Ann Arbor its home, but he now primarily covers the NFL draft over at the Athletic, and if I do say so myself, That seems like a pretty good career move, if you ask me. But because of that, he has a unique perspective not only on this rivalry game, but also how these teams actually stack up against each other. He still lives in that state up north and has a unique perspective on the program that very few national writers do. In this conversation, I try to kind of pick his brain as to what the talent levels are on each side of the ball where there might be an advantage for one team over the other, where one unit might have progressed from the previous year's matchups, and more. I will say we had a lot of fun talking about the idiocy of the sign stealing going on in the program. And he also revealed a little bit of information that he might not have been supposed to tell about who is currently at the top of his Heisman Trophy ballot. He is a Heisman Trophy voter, and I have to tell you, I think you will, at least in your heart, agree with him even if your head might be saying you should pick a quarterback. Anyway, it was a great conversation that dove into some of the things that I don't think have been covered enough in the lead up to this game on Saturday. So take a listen to that. But before we get into the conversation, if you are not already, please subscribe to the Land Grant Podcast Network wherever you get your daily dose of audio goodness, whether that was Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. Also, if you wouldn't mind, if you like what we're doing, especially this week heading into the game, please leave us a five star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. You can follow us on social media at Land Grant Thirty Three. You can follow me at BWW Matt. All right, with all that out of the way, here's my conversation with the athletics, Nick Bumgardner. All right, Nick, you have a kind of a unique perspective, I think, on this rivalry being based in Michigan, having worked uh, around that program for a long time, but also Mm -hmm. looking at it from the NFL draft perspective. I think you kind of have a a little bit more of an objective feel on what the talent is like on both sides of this rivalry. I think for a long time, Ohio State, not only fans and probably the program as well, just assumed that whomever they lined up against, they were going to have the most talent. And often that was the case, even in this rivalry. Not so much anymore. They've recruited really well in, in Ann Arbor but I, I still think like i don't i'm not sure how that matches up in terms of this season because michigan really hasn't played a ton of high quality opponents so far so when you look at it from a draft perspective not necessarily the recruiting talent analysis that we usually talk about but as the mm-hmm. from the nfl draft standpoint how do you think these two teams stack up just on the the guys that they have that are going to be on yeah. the field this weekend
0: yeah that's such a great question because this this, to me, is, like, the closest it's been, um, man, since yeah. uh, 2016. You know, the game where that was by by the inch there or two, where the, the spot game. Back, that was one like that where both sides had probably similar talent. But this is – not only that, this these two right here, Michigan, Ohio State, and Georgia are the three right now. I would say and I'm trying to think anybody else off, off the top of my head. No, I, they're the three that have the most. So I mean, not only are are they even. I would say that Michigan and Ohio State and Ohio State, like you said, is used to being in that in that top tier. But I, Michigan is right there because I mean, not, not maybe long term, but right now, <laughs> you know, in last year and right now, you know, Harbaugh said whatever he did about the twenty something guys. I don't know if they'll get twenty drafted, but I mean, they definitely have twenty prospects. Uh, on the team, which is pretty new. So, um, yeah, it's different. And it's it's all the stuff that, you know, they recruit specialty to. They're not – they don't recruit like a lot of other teams. They recruit to type, and they recruit, like, body types, and they develop. Uh, they took a long time to do that, and now they have all this stuff in the lines on both sides that's, uh, you know, pretty enviable.
1: When you break down the individual units for each team, is there one group on either side? That you're like, oh, wait, this is the one that stands out? Or is it fairly evenly distributed across both offense, defense, lines, position players, uh, and both teams as well?
0: This year is is much more even than, you know, last year I really did think Michigan's offensive line was clearly the best, you know, group in that game. And I would argue in 2021 I probably thought the same thing. Um, and that game did not surprise me as much as I think others. And then last year I think everybody was kind of like, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, but this year, I think it's a little more even Michigan's offensive line. is not as good um, as, as it was. I don't think last year or the year before, even quite as much, it's pretty good, but maybe not quite to that level. Uh, but if I flip it, the, the Ohio state has this, they have the receivers, they have Marvin Harrison, specifically one player. I mean, they have a Mecca as well. And Cade Stover has been awesome. Uh, I love Chip Trainum. I love a lot of the pieces they have, but Marvin Harrison is like, he's been number one on my Heisman ballot for a month um he'll probably I don't think I'm supposed to say that out loud I don't care he'll, he'll probably stay there uh, for the rest of the, because he's been he's been single-handedly you know the best player uh, I think in college football this season based on not only what he can do there are no holes really with his game but also and you guys know this like nobody schemes against a single player more than they do against Marvin Harrison and he has found a way every single time so you know they had him last year too um, and it didn't quite work out the, the way that they wanted it to, and that's mm-hmm. sort of the the challenge, right, of finding those spots. Michigan's a really good situational team, but you know, Ohio State still does have the trump card, in my opinion. That's Marvin.
1: I think at the beginning of the season, he was a, had a, a few little injuries at the beginning, and Kyle McCord was still kind of settling into being right. the starter. That I think he got out of the gate a little slowly, but obviously has picked up pace, especially in recent weeks. And you talked about him whether you're supposed to say it or not, being at the top of your Heisman ballot. (laughs) You flip that to the NFL draft. Has he done enough to prove you think that he's the the number one eligible receiver this season? And obviously, we don't know the draft order yet, but where does that slot him in? Is that a top three, top five, you know, top ten? Wide receivers are kind of tough to pinpoint uh, without knowing who's going to be picking. But what are your thoughts on where he stacks up come draft time?
0: Yeah, he's absolutely uh wide receiver one. And I think when it when it comes down to, like you said, I mean, it'll depend on, you know, who picks where, you know, it's going to be hard for anybody, you know, with trades and everything else. Caleb Williams and Drake May in any order you pick there feels like one and two, but I definitely think Marvin is no worse than three. I mean, I, I would it wouldn't shock me if a team, you know, depending on who lands where and they can't get a trade done. If they say, whatever, we'll just sit here at one and take Marvin. Harris. I mean, that's, that's not out of the question. I mean, he's, you know, I work pretty closely with Dane Brugler uh, and and that's something that of we've course, talked yeah. about for maybe a year and a half now that like uh, Marvin is about as good as as the college game has seen since like maybe Calvin Johnson at that level. Right. Like, I mean, a guy that just doesn't have many holes because like you said, he started slow this season, but he also, if you really look at it, he also kind of didn't. I mean, he made a lot of really tough plays. He made a lot of really tough catches. He's the best in the country a lot of things, but really the best in the country, in my opinion, of, of picking the ball off his hip when it's thrown behind him and then just still being able to to make plays. So, I mean, he helped McCord a ton early in the season, I thought, and I thought that probably solidified him in scout size uh, even more so. And then, you know, it's been cool to see that all that's picked up because the numbers have come now and, you know, he's got legit Heisman buzz. I would expect him to be in New York. I don't know how many people would agree with me, but I would expect he's, he's going to get a spot there.
1: Obviously, you, you talk about all of the The stuff that he has in his game, no holes. He's able to do some things that other people aren't. But from a draft perspective, like how much does his name matter? Not necessarily like just like in a nepotism conversation, but just like, oh, you know what his dad was able to do and the type of way he approached his game. And from everything that we hear and see in Columbus, like Junior does the same way. Does that actually play into things when teams are looking at players?
0: Oh yeah. Huge deal. I think it's, it's like for, for him, obviously the, what he does on tape is the big, is the biggest thing, but like one B is, is that right there because receiver is always, I think for scouts uh, and for GMs and anybody really, it's one of the hardest positions to crack in terms of the mental, like, what do you, what am I getting here? You know, am I going to get a guy who's like a great worker? Am I going to get a guy who hides that and is truly like a diva? doesn't want to work. Like, what am I, cause you could get everything and it could be all at once. And it's hard sometimes, even when you spend all the time interviewing and all that, to know. But when you are the son of <laughs> Marvin Harrison, like, and we yeah, yeah, yeah. all know who he is. And, like, uh, you know, Harbaugh was actually asked about him this week, Marvin Jr. It was like, well, he reminds me of his dad, right? I mean, like, that's the first thing that comes to, to mind for people who've been around the game a long time. So if you're an evaluator, that's the first thing you think of. You're like, well, I'm going to get, you know, the work ethic here. I can't imagine it would be any di- anything different. Um, and I think that that is a big part of what separates and pushes him toward that conversation where there's really not much doubt for people that he's going to have a really good career.
1: Yeah. And just before we move off of this, I, I would say like, anytime you hear him talk, whether it's in a post game or in an interview session, a, yeah. you know, a breakout it, he's just seems like he's got his head on his shoulders, which is not a given I think for somebody who grew up no, with, no. you know, a hall of fame father. So uh, he's just always been incredibly impressive to me, obviously on the field, but, yeah perhaps more even so. more so off of it as well. Um, let's flip over to the Michigan side. And I know in, uh, your recent kind of NFL draft tracker for the quarterbacks over at the athletic, uh, you talked about JJ McCarthy and how he is at best treading water, um, in the past few weeks, obviously they've taken a little bit of step up in competition, obviously when playing Penn state, especially, and then Maryland. Um, and it's weird. It's hard to evaluate, I think, especially because you look at that Penn State game. He was seven of eight in the first half, but the, the yards right. per attempt were pretty low and then didn't officially throw a pass in the second half. And I think, obje- you know, from an Ohio State perspective, we can laugh at that. But I think objectively, yeah. you look at that and think that that's probably more to do with the offensive line. But then against Maryland, he was 12 for 23 and he hasn't thrown a touchdown. And at this point, I guess, looking at the date, exactly one month. So. Coming into this game, where presumably both quarterbacks are going to have to step up, what are we to make of JJ McCarthy, who looked as good as anybody in the country? I mean, he was a Heisman uh, major contender early in the season, but that has kind of trailed off as we yeah. get into November.
0: Yeah, I, I wonder how healthy he is. Number one, I think that he yeah. did take a hit a couple of weeks ago, uh, at the ankle or something. I wonder how much that's impacted him and. If, if and that if it is, then that's you know going to be a big problem for Michigan because I also think he's going to need to be involved uh, in the run game in this one yeah. uh, for them for the whole thing. But to to the earlier point, what I make of it is you know it's it's interesting the, the Penn State game. Um, I thought he did everything that was asked of him in that game. Like, I, a lot of people, like you said, I mean they were immediately were like, "My God, look at this! Only eight passes. He can't do it when they when they need him to." And it's like, well, they sort of deferred to the run game and they just said Penn State's not going to stop it. They can't stop it. We're going to do it until this this ends. That's not really what happened against Maryland, though. And, you know, that was the first time that I've wondered two things, like, you know, the health and stuff, um, the inconsistency maybe over the last month with the footwork. Where that's not been as good as it was the first month of the season, um, all that sort of thing. And then beyond that, um, you know, you've got Sharon Moore as your acting head coach here, who is sort of wearing the hat of three people, you know, offensive line coach, uh, offensive coordinator, and head coach. And on the sideline you know, during a game, you know, I'm not sure of how much Michigan's offensive limitations last week were McCarthy-related or Tromar just being sort of like, you know, we're going to go with what I know will work and get out of here. And and that, you know, because I got a lot of my plate here. That's the question I have, because I don't, I don't know. And, um, you know, McCarthy's game last week was not good. Uh, and I think that that's the one thing that uh, you've been able to say, even in choppy days that they've had earlier in the season, the reason why they were able to blow people out so much is even when something would get off schedule, he was able to make a play with his feet, he'd get out of the pocket, uh, keep his eyes downfield, and so much of his big shots have been, uh, you know, something that's a route's been broken off and somebody runs after. That's been sort of limited in the last couple of weeks. So I wonder, you know, how much are, are his legs going to be there? And then how much, you know, has Sharon Moore sort of gotten comfortable? Or has he sort of de- delegate more off his plate or whatever it is uh, on the sideline? That's that's the two big things that I'm wondering about.
1: And, and I think this is, you know... I think a lot of people have said, well, the he- you know, Harbaugh's not going to be there on game day, but he's there the rest of the week. So this really doesn't matter. Right. Like, I think that point that you're talking about where the head coach, you know, the acting head coach, Ron Moore, has a lot to handle. That's a big deal. I've been a longtime proponent that Ryan Day should not call plays, not because he's not great exactly. at it, but because exactly. he's the CEO. It's and it's, yeah, exactly. So it, obviously, I think both teams are coming into this confident. We know everything that's been going on around the Michigan program, but in terms of stuff like that, like how do you think that they're approaching this challenge, not just because it's the rivalry game and it's more than likely going to be the winner goes to the college football playoff, but like all of the other stuff, not, I mean, I guess the mentally too, but just like the logistical stuff that they've had to deal with here, trying to figure out who they are. Uh, and, and who yeah. their coaches are going to be like, how does that play in? Are they, are they handling it? Well, do you think, or is there still some things to to smooth out?
0: I definitely think the players are handling it well. They have a really good group of guys and, and you know, a veteran group that's won a lot of games. You know, Blake Corum is as solid as they come McCarthy's, a, you know, sell kid too. I think the players have really handled it well, uh, all things considered. And I think that it's been something it, probably advantageous for them because they had, they dealt with it when the season started, you know, Harbaugh, was suspended for whatever those games were. And I know that, you know, we can all point back, those were, those were pathetic opponents that they didn't play anybody and all that, but it's like, yeah. it's still like a, a logistical thing, a process that you have to get used to. So I think they definitely have done a nice job of getting used to all of that and everything else. The question though, that I, you know, they've been able to get through these last couple weeks and the Penn State game was very impressive. uh And last week's game against Maryland is one where I don't like to overreact to the, to the game right before the game you know for either side I've been right. I've been caught on that one over the years and burned <laughs> too many times cuz sometimes people play possum yep. but I do have the question I do question if you know this is a lot you know this is a lot a lot this is a huge game like you said I mean the players you know the the mo- the motivation and the message from Harbaugh is this is the biggest game of your life this is it's not you are not guaranteed to ever have a bigger game than this and it's the biggest game the program's ever had like I think that that's more or less what the message has been uh, on top of that with the sign stealing stuff I think if you're a player if you're an offensive lineman if you're part of the run game you you're you're playing irate because people think that the only reason you've won 20 whatever in a row is because in the big 10 or whatever it is is because you know you stole signs but I mean I think everybody who goes football knows that the re- real reason why they've been good is because they've been able to run the ball. So, like, I think there's, yeah. they've been able to use that motivation to their advantage. But, yes, the organization on game day is still the big question. And, and that will, I think, be, you know, a factor in some level.
1: I, I want to talk about some players on, on Ohio State's side and see – where you're coming at with them because over the years, Ohio State has had some obviously tremendous defensive ends. And I think a lot of people both in and around Columbus and college football at large just assume that in 2021, when you get both JT Tumelo out and Jack Sawyer to come in together, that, oh, this is the next version of the Bosa's and and Chase Young. And that hasn't exactly played out that way. Not that they've been bad, but JT has been a bit more consistent for a variety of reasons than Jack has. But Sawyer has been putting together a pretty impressive run here on the back half of the season. So when you look at that yeah. defensive end combination, what do you see not only for this game, and you talked about earlier Michigan's offensive line perhaps not being as good as it has been in the past, although I think that is probably more interior than exterior, right, right. Um, but then projecting to the draft and, and, and what they look like in the league, Like, are these guys on that Bosa-Chase Young level or are they significantly back or a step back? W- what are you thinking about them both individually and collectively?
0: Yeah, they're both not. They're both a step back, I would say, from from those other two guys. They're not going to be in the top level of the draft. Although JT, I mean, it depends on how he tests and and all that sort of thing. He could be a first round pick. And there are some people that that like Jack Sawyer more than like JT. Both are, I think, well liked and would be no worse than day two. It's been interesting, and I think like Sawyer is the guy that really fascinates me because they he's kind of the heavy end, and you know he plays more of the anchor stuff and take on the take on guy and all that, and like also with Jim Knowles coming in last year, they asked him to do an awful lot, you know, that a lot of other defenses don't. And, you know, you could see at times a year ago where he was sort of thinking a lot and maybe freezing a bit. And I think that that's gone away. And he's really the better athlete. He's the better, like full, all the way through like strength, core, like balance, power, can play the run. You know, JT has better, you know, things in certain areas and he's got better pass rush moves, but Jack Sawyer, Against the run, I think, has been a huge deal for them. Uh, quietly, probably. It probably hasn't shown up a lot. I don't know what the staff like, but maybe the, maybe it has. But, I mean, I think that last year they lacked that ability to really have someone set an edge or someone get in there other than, like, Eichenberg and maybe one of those d tackles to do something. It was, like, it, it was really a struggle. It was just a lot of pass rushers who were getting lost in the run game. And I think that Sawyer's done a nice job this year growing into that role. And I think JT, too, you can see that he's stronger. You can see he's bigger. Um, I actually think – I thought his game against Penn State uh, was outstanding. He got Fashano at least once, uh, I I think, toward the end of the game there, and he probably helped himself a lot. So he might be a first-round pick before it's all over based on the pass rush, rush, you know, repertoire and everything. But I wouldn't sleep on Sawyer if he has a – like if Ohio State wins this game and he has a really nice day and then they go to the playoff and he has two really good games against top-level teams, like he could really climb because he's – he's just been a guy who's had to grow. You know, he's a really talented player that had to find out what he was doing and then they changed. And then, you know, sometimes that takes a minute. And I think that for him, it's, it's starting to come now.
1: Yeah. I think for both of these guys, obviously Larry Johnson, the defensive line coach has been there for their entire tenure, but kind of the transition from whatever, yeah. yeah, Whatever garbage was, (laughs) uh, was like that in their freshman year (laughs) into Jim Knowles and you know, that, and even Knowles has kind of adapted the way that he's approached uh, totally. the, the front set. So I, I think that's a, a really good point on your, on your part. Um, wrap up with one more kind of personnel question before we uh, kind of get out of here. I think the biggest difference for Ohio state's offense and potentially for Kyle McCord as a quarterback as well has been the reemergence of a healthy trevion Henderson, who over yeah. the past month has just kind of looked like the guy that everybody in Columbus thought he would be coming out of his freshman year. And I I hesitate to kind of put too much pressure on that just because we know what Michigan often does against, uh, against running attacks. But he seems to kind of have figured some stuff out, I think, not only earlier in his career, but just earlier in this season. He's had some inabilities to make cutbacks and to find holes, and it just looked like there was... Uh, some vision issues as to where the lanes were. That seems to have over the past four games completely disappeared. And he just looks like a completely rejuvenated, both physically and mentally guy. Obviously in terms of projecting to the next level, like running backs are who knows with the NFL draft, but like in terms of this game and matching up with this Michigan defense, is he a positive for Ohio state? a major positive for Ohio State or a complete game changer for the Buckeyes, do you
0: think? He could be a game changer because I completely agree with you. Like, his last month has been awesome. And the big thing for him, I think the change that they've got, undergone at Ohio State offensively, day is diversified the run game, they've added more, you know, gap stuff. They're still a zone team. They still, you know, bread and butter with the stretch and everything, but they do a lot more. And they're asking their backs to you know, make more disciplined reads between the tackles. And that's hard to do. And, you know, when the season started, chip train was their best gap runner and it really wasn't too it wasn't close and it was like you know i i know that henderson had some you know the health and everything else but there was a couple weeks where i was like man he's got to figure this out or they're not going to play him and he did and i think to his credit uh it's like a different player i don't maybe it was the health i don't know maybe it was just time on task or whatever but i think it's been a huge deal for him and it could be a big deal same thing that we talked about the other way like if they win and he has a big day and they go to the playoff and he continues to play well, like the ability to be a more than just one scheme back is a huge deal in the NFL. And he didn't have that until, you know, Ohio state changed its run game and, you know, really started to commit to more, you know, you know, a diverse attack for lack of a better phrase there. So, yeah, I think he could be a game changer in this game. And I think he's certainly, you know, a, a Buka coming back is another big deal. Obviously everybody talked about that and how much that helped the whole offense, but Henderson really figuring out what they want him to do. So that they don't have to take him off the field, and that they can now they can move, train him around, and let him do other things as a space blocker. I think that's a big, big deal. And if he has a big game, it they're going to be hard to beat. Because I mean, like if they can run the ball consistently in this game, it's going to be hard for Michigan to win it to win it because it's just a matter of they have more explosive players, right? They're yeah, more explosive than Michigan usually. So yeah,
1: I I think this this offense is really interesting, especially compared to the other Ryan Day ones, because obviously. Kyle McCord is not yet at the level of Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, or C.J. Stroud, and maybe he will be next year. But what I think this offense does have that not all of the other ones did is that they are not completely wide receiver dependent. Uh, The running game is there. Cade Stover has developed, and and while they've had some decent pass-catching tight ends in the past, uh, I think Cade Stover is – with Brock Bowers having missed half of the season, at least in the conversation uh, to be the best pass catching tight end in the country. So I think that that's really where the difference is. Like you said, to being able to diversify what they do on offenses has been big. Um, All right. I'm going to wrap up with two questions and they're kind of both sides of the same coin here. If, if Michigan is going to win this game, win three in a row, what is like the one single thing that they have to make sure that they do?
0: They have to get stops on on third down, especially in the red zone. They have to if, – because if, I think Ohio State's going to move the ball. I think both sides are going to move the ball. Uh, last The last two years, they, Michigan has won this game by the ability to take two or three red zone possessions and turn them either into field goals or turnover on downs. So they have to find three or four stops again in the red – and that's the thing where the sign-stealing stuff gets brought up, right? Because yeah. if you're going to get an advantage, that's where it was at right there, I would think. So – Big day for Jesse Minter to prove that that can happen again, because that's the plan for Michigan. Run the ball, control what you're doing on offense, and then get like three weird stops on defense. And that's it. And, and I think that that's been the plan the last two years. And I think that'll be it again.
1: All right. Other side if Ohio State is going to win, I guess, what, for the first time since 2019. Right. What do they have to do?
0: I think it's a, it's simpler for Ohio State, even though this game is on the road. I, I think in some ways and maybe the task is harder, but the, the plan is simpler and it's be who you are, do what you know you can do and stick to it and don't freak out in the tough moments. Because I and I, I know that we just talked about that, right? Ryan Day, you know, the reason why they changed what they changed in the offseason with you know Heartline being more involved was because he's he's having trouble and he's had trouble in the past in those really critical spots about what to do in the moment and it's if he can make the calls the way we've seen him do it in other games and you know so many times in all the wins they've had and execute the way that we know he's capable of I suppose I think Ohio State wins the game but it's also sort of like we got to see that right like that's it's a big game for him Yeah, it's a huge game for Ryan Day it's a huge game for everybody obviously every year but like they have lost the last two years for a number of reasons. One very highly on the list both times was he got out-schemed. And it's just like, you can blame the signs if you want, but now that's not going to be a thing. And if it happens again, like that's, you know. So for me, it's a simple thing, but it's also really hard because Michigan is a very good defensive team with a really good defensive staff.
1: Yeah, I've been, since this whole thing started a, a month ago, like I've, my thing has always been if you watched those games the last yeah. two years, like Ohio State didn't lose because of the signs, And maybe if you want to go and be like, well, Michigan won the earlier games because of the signs, And right. so they were OK, whatever. Let's that's impossible to play. But like they just got beat and got and beat. that's yeah. fine. And uh, but if you want to, you know, look, if those games get vacated, I will happily troll sure. everything and say yeah. that they didn't <laughs> happen. But when it comes down to it, like that's not what we all saw, but I think you're right because of that. Now that that is gone, this puts even probably more pressure on Ohio state to win this game. But I also think it takes, uh, some of the doubt out of, ryan day's mind maybe even the player's mind that gives them at least an excuse to be like oh well yeah, maybe we actually won those games if things were were equal so i don't i think it's fascinating to kind of look at the mental side of this yeah not just from like a psychology thing but also like how that means that they're going to approach the game but nick i really appreciate it. this has been fantastic i really uh, uh, appreciate yeah. the insight and, and all the breaking of it down so enjoy the game and I guess, I mean, you're never not in season, but you're just a couple of weeks yeah. away for like it actually being officially draft season once
0: uh, really we get into fun, bowl season yeah. and
1: everything. So <laughs> I appreciate Hopefully we'll get a chance to chat in the future again.
0: Absolutely, anytime.